Welcome to Sunday evening worship here at Broadway Baptist Church. I'm so glad you and your family are able to tune in and join us this Sunday night. Certainly uh, exciting as, uh, Sunday night. It's the last Sunday already in April. You know, we've now have gone through one entire month of internet church, online worship. And uh, so you can uh, certainly worship, follow along in your Bibles. On Sunday evenings, we're going through the book of Acts. So go ahead and pull out your Bibles, pull out the book of Acts. But before we turn to Acts, I do want to reference something here. We as a church family are reading through the book of Proverbs. We're reading one proverb a day throughout the month of April. So today is the 26th. So we are in Proverbs chapter 26. I preached on it this morning, uh, sharing about the sin of gossip and how dangerous it is. But here we're going um, to see in this scripture about uh, wisdom. So let's take a look at this. Proverbs 26, 12, it says, Do you see a person who is wise in his own eyes? You know what that means? Wise in his own eyes. This is when you and I, when we think we know what's always right, when we think we know what's best, when we think we're wise, there is more hope for a fool than for him. And what that means in the scriptures is even a fool, because he's not arrogant, he could obtain wisdom and he has some hope if he just listens. But someone who knows everything, someone who's already all wise, feels like they've got all the answers. The Bible says that they're just, it's just it's an unteachable spirit can't do anything with them. And there's a danger in deciding that you know what's always best. You have an unteachable spirit. And the Bible's teaching us here that our wisdom comes from the Lord. So let's go ahead and look at our um, slide of the third missionary journey. Here we are. We are going through the three missionary journeys right now on Sunday nights here at Broadway. And this is the third one. Remember Paul, he took three missionary journeys. And here we are all the way in the book of, of or, or, or we're in chapter 19 of the book of Acts. So where we left off last Sunday night, if you're following along, <clears throat> he is here and he's going to arrive here in Ephesus. He was in Corinth. So he was in Corinth. And what happened was he's leaving Corinth and he's going to come back. And he's going to arrive here in Ephesus. And he's going to uh, let the folks know there that they, he's going to spend about two years in, in Ephesus, and he, he's going to um, instruct them about uh, really some very practical matters that we're going to see here uh, that even apply for us today. So I want you to go ahead and turn there. We're going to be in Acts chapter 19, verse 1. Now, we're only reading 20 verses, so it's not a ton of scripture tonight. So, here we are, we're visiting Ephesus, and this would be kind of like his major stop. So, it's three different sections here we're going to look at. Verse 1. While Apollos was in Corinth. So, alright, 
They're, they're in Corinth. That's where they're at. Paul traveled through the interior region. So, if Chris, if we are, if we're, go back to our map here. Here we are, Corinth's way over here. So we're going back over here, and he's going to end up in Ephesus. Now, Ephesus, this is where we get the book of Ephesians. Ephesus also is where Timothy is left there, and he spends a lot of times pastoring the church. Apollos is here in Corinth, but some amazing things are going to happen, and uh, he's, Paul's going to make, meet some opposition. So we're going to spend even next Sunday night in Ephesus as well. So that, so that, this is where we're at. We're in current day Turkey. So if you can see, that's where we're at. Apollos, who's a very skilled teacher and uh, communicator, he's over here in Corinth. So that's, that's our background information. All right, keep going here in your Bible. He's traveling through the interior regions and came to Ephesus. He found some disciples. Now, that, that's the key word there is disciples. And he asked them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? Did you receive the Holy Spirit? Did you become a believer with the Holy Spirit when you believed? So we're going to see something interesting that happened. They said in verse, latter part of verse um, 2, no, they told him, we haven't even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. They've never even heard of the Holy Spirit. Into what then were you baptized? He asked them. And they said, into John's baptism, they replied. Now remember, John the Baptist, he had a very fruitful ministry until it was cut off short from Herod. He also was someone who was baptizing in the name of repentance. He was there in the Jordan River, and he baptized a lot of Jews. They were baptized by John the Baptist. Paul said to them, John baptized a baptism of repentance, telling the people that they should believe in the one who would come after him. That is in Jesus, meaning John is the guy who came along to prepare the way for Jesus. Next comes Jesus, and now the ministry and the focus is on the Lord. When they heard this, they were baptized into the name of the Lord Jesus. So now, obviously, Paul is in Ephesus. He shared with these, these disciples that they need to receive the baptism by the Holy Spirit into Jesus' name. Now look at verse 6. This is interesting. And when Paul had laid his hands on them, look at this, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they began to speak in other tongues and to prophecy. So these men here, they received the Holy Spirit, and they started prophesying. They were proclaiming the greatness and the goodness of God. They started proclaiming very boldly the teachings of the Lord. Now there were about 12 men in all. So what happened here in this section is it says that Paul met these believers. Now that's an interesting word. They are referenced and called believers. And it says here 
they, or I'm sorry, in verse 1, it's, they're called disciples. So we need to answer the question, were these disciples, were these Christians that were part of the church? Most likely they, they weren't part of the church. It never said they were there at the church. These were just disciples, possibly disciples of only John, John the Baptist. And Paul runs into him, and he talks, talking to him about the gospel. He realizes, hey, these folks have been baptized by John the Baptist, but John the Baptist was pointing people to Jesus, so I need to point these people to Jesus. He, he baptizes them, he lays his hands on them, he prays for them, the Holy Spirit comes down, they start speaking in tongues, they start prophesying, and it's, uh, uh, these guys become disciples and now believers of Jesus. So how do we understand this? I don't think this would be the norm for today. I have a little quote up here. Up here. It says, in the early days of the church, there were incomplete doctrines of Christianity spreading. And this was one of them. Meaning, we did not have, in the early days of church, we did not have all 66 books. We did not go to the bookstore or go to Amazon and just say, I'd like to order a Bible. Here's your Bible. Or come sit in your pew and here's your book. It was just, a lot of it was teachings by Paul, word of mouth, and instruction at the, at the, at the synagogue at the, at the, in, in Jerusalem. And what's happening is there was a lot of misinformation going around. And here were 12 men who were basically, they were, they were Jewish men who received John's baptism. They were obviously open to the teachings of the Lord and obeying the Lord, but no one had come and taught them about the Holy Spirit. No one had taught them about Jesus. No one had taught them about speaking in tongues and prophesying and laying on hands. So Paul recognized this. These are men with an incomplete doctrine, and I need to go teach them the way of the Lord. And help them in their understanding and grasping of this. And what happened, this is one of the examples. This isn't really the norm. This would be just, you know, an anomaly, something. Paul is correcting the believers. Now, I, I use the word believers. Now, in the Bible, over the centuries, Bible scholars have debate, debated because the word disciples is used to describe these men. Were these people believers in Christ? Were they saved or were they not saved? And that's up to you. We don't know. That's a question only the Lord knows. But what we do know is they did become saved. Once Paul shared the gospel with them, they received it and they became believers. And I think we're surrounded by people like this. There's people who are open to the gospel open to learning and hearing about Jesus, and they're waiting for a Paul. They're waiting for a Chris. They're waiting for a Sherry. They're waiting for a Luke to come and to tell them about the Lord and to share the complete message of Jesus Christ with them. I think you see a lot of, a, a, a lot of the prosperity gospel, a lot of... Um, just uh, teachings that you know, has some truth in it, but it's not the complete truth. Paul's taken an incomplete truth 
And he's saying, I'm going to build on this and teach people completely about the Lord. And I think what we see is part of our ministry, of what we do as Christians, is we correct people. And he's doing it in a kind way. Correct and say, hey, this is the right way to believe the Lord. This is how you should believe in what the, in what the, in what the teachings and what the Gospels actually say. Moving along here. Acts chapter 19, verse 8. We're now here. We have 12 new guys who have been baptized in the name of Jesus. They've received the Holy Spirit. Paul's going to spend some time teaching in Ephesus. Ephesus is a large commercial city. It's a pagan city. It's one where uh, there's going to be a lot of opportunity for um, a great fruit. But there's also going to be opportunity here for um, opposition. We certainly see that. Look at verse 8. Paul entered the synagogue. That was his custom. You go, you go where the religious folks were. And there, obviously, the Jewish folks are there at the synagogue. And look at this. He spoke boldly over a period of three months. So for three months, he received the opportunity to speak at the synagogue. He was permitted and allowed to continue to, to speak for the Lord. How did he present it? He was arguing and persuading them about the kingdom of God. That's important for us. He's, he's giving the different points. He's giving the different bullets. He's saying, here are the reasons you need to believe in Jesus Christ. There's a reason for this. There's a, there's a reason for folks like you to come to the Lord. But when some had become hardened and would not believe, slandering the way, the way there, that's the passage that we know that's the way uh, we see that a few chapters earlier. That's how Christians are known. They're the way to God. So there's there, these people come along after three months. They're tired of Paul's teaching. All Paul's do is point people to Christ. He's, he's out debating everybody. He's really skilled in his theology. Paul's smarter than everyone else. And a lot of people don't like that. You ever been in the presence of somebody who's smarter than you? you know, it's just one of those things where... Um, you know. It, I've, you, there's, there's always somebody who's smarter than you. There's always someone who's stronger than you, who's wealthier than you. There's somebody who knows more the, about the Bible than you do. And Paul is one of those guys, and here he is in Ephesus, and he's outwitting the, the Jewish leaders there. And they start slandering the way in front of the crowd, and you always put them, people down in public. He withdrew from them taking the disciples and conducted the discussions every day. Look at this, in the lecture hall of Tyrannus. Now, Tyrannus here, this lecture hall, this would be just kind of like a public building. Back in Bible times, they did not have newspapers like we have. They obviously didn't have iPads. They didn't have TVs. So if you wanted to kind of just go hear what's going on in the city, you just go to the common lecture hall, the meeting area. It'd be like the university and you'd hear one guy, he's got his opinion. The next guy has got his thoughts on government, philosophy, religion, ways of life. Here's my thoughts. So just throughout the day, you've got these different people standing up. They might get 20, 30 minutes and they make their speech. And you've got these people here listening to them. So who is this Tyronius guy? He either was a primary lecturer at this. He spoke frequently at the lecture hall or he either owned the lecture hall. But basically what happened, it's a common area where there's all 
There's a mixed bag of teaching that's going on. And Paul's saying, I've been run out of the synagogue, but I'll use the opportunity here to promote and to spread the gospel. And he says this went on for two years. So Paul spent substantial time on his third missionary journey. In fact, his main place he stayed at, his third missionary journey was where? It's here in Ephesus. He's spending a lot of time there. And it says that all the residents of Asia, both Jews and Greeks, they heard the word of the Lord. He's at the common area in a major city spreading the gospel. And, you know, this is one, you know, we, last week we wrapped up our um, Annie Armstrong Easter offering. Or not last week, about now, Easter was two weeks ago. Time's flying by. But do you know one of the missions, what I love, what the president of the North American Mission Board is doing, Kevin Azell, They've identified major cities, influential cities, and they're focusing on church planning and strengthening the churches there. Because if you want to have an impact and you want to, the gospel to spread, you need to go where all the people are and the people are passing through. I mean, think about a city like Lexington. It's a major commerce city. People come here for the university. They come here for sports. They come here for health care. Two major interstates run right through the city. Everybody going to Ohio is driving up I-75. Everyone going to Tennessee is coming through here. Everyone going to West Virginia or Indiana is coming through I-64. Where are you going to pass through? You're going through Lexington. People are going to come through this city. It's a, it's a connection zone. There's rail, railroads everywhere. We live near one. We hear the trains constantly. I'm looking out the window right now. The, all the cars driving by New Circle Road and here on Harrodsburg Road. I mean, there's just, it's a place where people are passing through. So if you wanted the gospel to go out and you wanted a, your church or your, the words to be a great witness would you plant a church right here on Harrodsburg Road at New Circle Road? Or would you plant it in Somerset? Now, there's a lot of folks in Somerset. There's a highway that goes through Somerset. Chris, behind the camera here, used to live in Somerset. But there's probably more people passing through Lexington than Somerset. And I think what, what Paul's doing is he's saying, I want to I have an impact, so I'm going to go to Ephesus, and I'm going to teach all the people who pass through. Just like here in the United States, you pick the major cities, Los Angeles, Chicago, San Francisco, New York City, Atlanta, and you plant churches there, Boston, in educational cities, knowing these people are going to hear the gospel and hopefully take it. You know, one of the great things with college ministry is they come, college students come to Lexington. Their age of their life, that they're open to the gospel. And they're going to come live here for four, maybe five years, maybe six years for some, or even longer. And God can grow their faith. They can be deepened in this book right here. 
And then they're going to go out all over the place. Even here in our church family, we've already seen people this, this past year. They just come, they're here for a year or two in school, and they're gone. But you have to look that while they're, while they're here in the bluegrass, God is allowing them in a college town to hear the good news. That's what Ephesus is. It's a commercial city with a purpose for folks hearing. So that's why Paul's selected this lecture hall at Tyronius. It's almost like a, a college town or a college area. All sorts of different opinions. And here in Lexington, you will hear all sorts of different opinions. And what's important, that's why you need to be rooted in the scriptures because those opinions, if they don't line up with the Bible, if they don't line up with this book, you know, they're, they're not gospel truth. We, it might be true, but it's not, it's not the word of God with that. So keep going here in your Bible. It says in verse 10, I think we're, we're back, back in verse 10. Look at this. This went on for two years so that all the residents of Asia, both Jews and Greeks, heard the word of the Lord. And the purpose of this verse is they're hearing the word of God. Why are you listening to this quarantine sermon? I'm preaching to empty pews right now. Here in the sanctuary, we've got Daniel Jr. and Chris Wright in here with me. No one else. But you're listening and you're watching online. The good news, even in periods of isolation and quarantine and social distancing, God wants it to advance. You do everything possible to advance the gospel. You use your social media. You use your, um, you use your phone. You use your texting. You want to advance the word of God. Paul is doing this. He's trying to get the word of the Lord out there. That's why so many of our Sunday school teachers are meeting online. That's why Chris makes videos for the college students. That's why Zach is making videos for the teenagers. That's why our Awana teachers are uh, having Zoom classes for the students. Because they're, they're teaching the word of God. It's going to spread. Last section here. We're about to burn our magic books. You'll see what I'm talking about. Verse 11. God was performing extraordinary miracles by Paul's hands. The Lord is using Paul. Goes on to say, So that even face cloths or aprons that he had touched, his skin were brought to the sick, and the diseases left them, and the evil spirits came out of them. I don't, have a, I don't have a handkerchief in my pocket, but if I did, I'd wipe my face. If I was Paul, and you put down your handkerchief or your face cloth, and he's up there preaching and teaching, and he's sweating. They didn't have air conditioning 2,000 years ago. It's blazing hot there in Turkey. 
He's doing this every single day. The sun's beating down. There's open windows. And it's just hot. It's humid. He's sweating. And he drops, he drops his handkerchief down in a chair. And what happens? What happens? Somebody who's sick touches it. And they become well. Somebody who has an unclean evil spirit, they touch it and they're healed. It comes out of them. And what's happening is God is using a miraculous to show that, hey, the words that this man Paul is saying are true. So that even those who are suffering from the coronavirus 2,000 years ago could touch Paul's handkerchief, touch his face cloth that he wiped his face with because he's sweating so much, and they're healed. God's trying to, he's doing the miraculous to show to the folks there at Ephesus Saying, hey, this is true. You need to believe this man. Now, some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists, exorcists, somebody who's, uh, who's doing an exorcism, they're, they're casting out a demon. They were also attempted to pronounce the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, I command you by... The Jesus that Paul preaches, seven sons of Skevia, a Jewish high priest, were doing this. So now this guy, his name was seven sons of Skevia. That meant he probably had seven sons. His name was Skevia, and he was a high priest. He realized, wow, there's a lot of power in Paul. Paul's handkerchiefs and what Paul's teaching. And Paul's talking about Jesus, so there's power in Jesus' name. And it says in verse 15, look at this. The evil spirit answered them, I know Jesus, and I certainly recognize Paul, but who are you? An evil spirit comes out of somebody. He performed an exorcism. Evil spirit comes out at the name of Jesus. And he looks around and says, I know who Jesus is, and I recognize who Paul is. He's certainly got a lot of power. But seven scuns of Skevia. Who, who are you? You're, you're not a believer. You're abusing and misusing the name of the Lord. You're abusing the name of Jesus here. And look what happens. Look at this. Then the man who had the evil spirit jumped on them, overpowered them all. Remember? We saw from last Wednesday evening from our Mark Bible study that in the Gospel of Mark where, where Jesus went into the tombs and what happened where the man there who had an unclean spirit, he would break the chains. He had a supernatural strength. No one could contain him. And here, this evil spirit, he's overpowering seven sons of Skevia. And it says he prevailed against them so that they ran out of that house naked and wounded for whatever reason evil spirits rip everyone's clothes off and it beats folks up because that tended to happen in mark chapter 5 as well so poor seven scuns of skevia you always know when you lose a fight when you come in with pants on and you leave with your pants off that's what happened there with seven sons of skevia he got beat up the evil spirit um uh wounded him greatly he was using the name of jesus but the name of jesus jesus did not recognize 
And the demons, demonic spirit also did not recognize who this man was. And that's the danger of misusing the name of Jesus Christ. The name of Jesus Christ should be held up high. The name of Jesus Christ is for one of power and authority that we should not abuse. And this man was abusing it. Keep going here. Look what it says, verse 17. When this became known to everyone who lived in Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks, they became afraid, and the name of the Lord Jesus was held in high esteem. Word got out, hey, the name of Jesus is something you do not misuse. And you know that goes back to the third commandment. Do you know the third commandment says, Thou shalt not misuse the name of the Lord. We never should misuse the name of the Lord. You never should watch a movie or should watch a listen to a television or a song that's misusing the name of the Lord. OMG is misusing the name of the Lord. It's casual talk about God. God's name is held up high. You shouldn't be paying for that stuff. Shouldn't be listening to that stuff. It's demonic. And what happened? The Lord Jesus, His name is being lifted up at this point. And it's become known to everyone. This, this whipping that seven scuns of Scevia received. And many who had become believers confessing and disclosing their practices, while many of those who had practiced magic collected their books, looked at, look at this, and burned them in front of everyone. So they calculated their value and found it to be 50,000 pieces of silver. In this way, the word of the Lord flourished and prevailed. One of the things that happened here is Apparently, there was a lot of magic going on there in Ephesus. And the magic that was occurring was the, they were using these evil powers as false spirits to actually uh, tap in to the demonic. And as people got saved, as they learned about the name of Jesus, they took their magic books and they went and burned them. And it says here, the magic books... They cost, they were valued at 50,000 pieces of silver. That's a lot of money. That'd be a lot of money today. 50,000 pieces of silver. I mean, think about it. Jesus was sold, betrayed to Judas for only 30 silver coins. This is 50,000 pieces of silver. You know, I remember when I was in high school... There was a band. I think they're still around, and they've got to be old now. But uh, I'll give. A, I think I shared this story, gosh, a couple, couple of years ago, maybe on Sunday night like this. But um, in high school, in the late '90s, I listened to a band called Metallica. They're a hard rock, heavy metal band. Now, uh, I, I guess they're still there, and um, I had all their CDs. This is back when C, folks listened to CDs. And I remember God speaking to me. And I, I had bought each one. Back when CDs cost about 20 bucks. And I remember God telling me, he says, Daniel, you need to get rid of those CDs. That's trash. 
Uh, you, have, you as a believer, you have no, no use for that. And I reason, it says, why would I want to get rid of it when I could sell this and make some money? But there's something about throwing something away and destroying it and burning it and trashing it. And God spoke to me. He says, you know, you just need to throw it away. You don't need to get a dime off that stuff. It's not worth anything. And I remember I drove a truck at that time. And I, I gathered up all my Metallica CDs. I was in a great conviction. And there was a dumpster about two miles I knew from our house. And I drove by that dumpster. Rolled my window down. And I tossed all those CDs. Where the cases and everything. I was probably $100 plus dollars out of every CD the little band had put out. Maybe more than $100. CDs back then were $17, $18. And I chunked them off. And I drove away. And I never listened to them again. And I think that's what we see here. When you get saved, you burn your old life. Remember when God called Elisha? To be a prophet. Not Elijah, but Elisha. Elisha followed Elijah. Elijah, the older prophet, came and put his mantle, meaning his cloak, around Elisha. Elisha was out, and the young man was out plowing in the field. And God called him to be a prophet. And says, you're going to follow me. And says, I'm going to start discipling you and bring you along. That's what the discipleship call is. You're investing in a new generation. Do you know what Elisha did? It says he burned his plow. The reason why he burned his plow is because he didn't want to go back to his old way of life. If you don't destroy your old way of life, and that might be your computer if it's pornography, that might be Metallica CDs, it might be your plow if you're going in the ministry. Because there's always this temptation when it's something's still there in the corner, when it's still in the closet, when old pictures in your old life, old drinks are still there, there will be a temptation to go back to that one day. Well, and if Ephesus here it says they burned their magic books. I actually got, brought me a magic book here. Now this is a Christian magic book. I got a cigarette lighter. Somehow Daniel Jr. found this here at our church, this cigarette lighter. I have no clue why we have a cigarette lighter at church, but anyway. <clears throat> nevertheless, we have one uh, somewhere. Um, this is a tricks and twists magic book. Should I burn it? Should I, should I light the cigarette lighter and burn the magic book? They did it in, um, in Ephesus. I'm not going to do that. Could do it. It would be biblical to do that. But the principle and the point is, your old way of life, whatever you were trusting in, whatever your faith was in in the past, you destroy it. Even if it has a great value. Because you have to say, that is now a loss. I have buried that with Christ. I have destroyed that. It's gone. I don't want the money for it. 
It's sinful money anyway. I am living for the Lord. And what happened? When you burn your magic books, when you throw away your computer, when you get rid of the trash out of your life and the sin, in this way, the Word of the Lord, look at this, it flourished and prevailed. You want God's Word to flourish in your life? Do you want to do you want to flourish spiritually during this quarantine? What do you need to burn? Elisha burned a plow. I threw away Metallica CDs. Ephesus, they're burning. They're destroying their magic books. What do you need to get rid of? What needs to be burned? God's Word needs to flourish. It prevails. But there, but there is sin that is crowding it out in your life. And the people of Ephesus did it. Who do you need to block and unfriend on Facebook and unfollow on Instagram? Who on Twitter are you following that truthfully all it is is just bringing negativity into your life? There is so much filth and trash. You know, I mean, this morning I preached on gossip. Gossip, it sinks down and it goes to the inmost being. It could be, a, and likely is a total lie, partial truth, half truth. It, it destroys people's character and it destroys you. Having gossipy lips... Maybe you have friendships or family members you need to quit talking to because sadly, when you talk to them, do you know where the conversation is going? It's going to gossip about someone else. Jesus Christ is asking you to burn something tonight. Jesus Christ is asking you, what are your magic books? What are your movies? What are your TV shows and your internet sites? And they need to go. They've got to be destroyed. And there has to be loss with it. Don't sell it. Destroy it. God wants us to get rid of sin. That's what repentance is. These people in Ephesus, they experienced flourishing when they got rid of this. Do you know, up here... Up here on the screen, I have a Bible verse I want to show you. A couple of Bible verses. James chapter 2, verse 19. You know, we read this section here about how this evil spirit jumped on this man. Seven sons of Scevia. And it overpowered him. He did not recognize this guy who was just abusing and using the name of Jesus. Look what it says in James 2.19. You believe that God is one. I mean, there's a lot of folks that believe that. Good. Even the demons believe and they shudder. Meaning, just believing in God is not saving salvation. The name of Jesus, there's power in that name. There's power in Jesus Christ. There's healing that can come from folks who pray to Jesus. I mean, demons believe in Jesus. 
A demon can believe that God exists. They know every time, do you know every time a demon sees Jesus, they're bowing down. They acknowledge him as the Son of God. James 2.19 tells us this. There is a demonic world out there and they even acknowledge the Lord. Do you know, as the Bible says in um, Psalm 23, that the fool is the one who says in his heart, there is no God. Only the fool doesn't believe in the Lord. It's a, it's a, demon-possessed people believe in, in God, but that's not saving salvation. Look at Revelation twenty-two fifteen. Look at this scripture up here on the board. Outside are the dogs. Jesus is speaking at this verse. He's telling us, he's warning us. He's saying inside, outside. So he's saying is inside the house of God, inside heaven, inside the uh, salvation. That's what it means to be a believer. But outside are the dogs. I mean, the dogs are people who are not saved. They're lost people, unclean. The sorcerers. This magic book here is sorcery. Harry Potter is sorcery. And, you know, I was, while I was studying this, I was looking up Harry Potter. You know, he has a Harry Potter. Listen to this. It's unbelievable. And I don't, I've never in my life watched a Harry Potter movie, book, or anything else. Two years ago, a Broadway show came out. And it had the best-selling week ever in a Broadway show. It's called Harry Potter and the, look at this name, and the Cursed Child. Harry Potter and the Cursed Child. How sad is that? And it's, a, it's for children. And there's rumors that next year there's going to be a movie that's going to be coming out. And these movies, one of the movies made over a billion dollars. A Harry Potter movie. The Cursed Child. What is it about? It's about a wizard. It's about magic. It's about uh, sorcery. We as Christians, we are called out of that. Look at this. Look outside. The sorceries are on the outside. Sorcerers, people who dabble in witchcraft, people who dabble in magic, people who follow this garbage, they're lost. Sorcery, wizardry, witchcraft. That's not for believers. That's the practices of the devil. Don't, parents... Grandparents, don't buy that stuff for your children. Don't fly up to New York to go watch Harry Potter and the Cursed Child. Children aren't cursed. Children are loved by the Lord. Jesus died for children. He wants to save them. The sexually immoral, the murderers, the adulterers, and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. These people are on the outside. They're lost. We as believers are on the inside. Last thing I see here. We're going to put up on the board. Do you want to see a miracle every single moment? Do you know these folks here in Ephesus, they wanted to see a miracle. And they realized, hey, with Paul's, Paul's face cloth, with the name of Jesus, there was power. I mean, Paul wiped his head, put his handkerchief down at the, at the, at the hall. He, there is tyrants. He's teaching at. They'd go pick it up and their diseases, the coronavirus, it would go away. 
I mean, think about it. If we had the coronavirus and we lived in Ephesus 2,000 years ago, we could just go listen to Paul preach and be healed. Look at this. You want to see a miracle in the, in the, every, in the moment? But this is what Christianity looks like. We want to see all these miracles, but this is the practical side of what our faith actually looks like. It's submitting to God's revealed will in the Bible. And here it is. God has revealed His will. God has revealed His plan and purpose for us. We say, I submit to this book. Lord, if you call me to burn my plow, to burn my Metallica CDs, and to burn my magic books, I'm going to do it. I submit to your authority. I'm not going to watch Harry Potter. I'm not going to get involved in that stuff on TV about witchcraft. We submit to God. The quarantine season. You need to be church member, Christian, wherever you're at. You need to say, I submit to the Lord. God, I'm yours. Number two, what else does the Lord want us to do? He wants us to walk by the Spirit. What does that mean, to walk by the Spirit? Walk by the Spirit means that we have the fruits of the Spirit in our life. The fruits of the Spirit are when you come in contact with other believers, instead of gossip, they give encouragement. Instead of negativity, they give you up an uplifting sense of peace. Instead of receiving criticism, you get a blessing. They're walking with the Lord. They li they're living a daily life with God, and it overflows in every other area of their life. Are you walking in the Spirit I want you to know something. You are not walking in the Spirit if you're sitting at home right now watching filth on TV hour after hour. And it's not walking in Spirit. Who do you need to make a phone call to? Who do you need to send a card to? I've been talking about this over and over again. My goal is I make five to seven phone calls a day. I call for it. Now some of my phone calls, I'm on the phone, some of y'all know this, for 45 minutes an hour. I don't always meet my goal. But you just talk to folks. You see how they're doing. What are they up to? Check on them. Give them words of encouragement. Call everybody in your Sunday school class. Write someone a note. Send a child a card. Children love getting mail. Look what else here. What do we do? What do you want to see a miracle today? You need to pursue godly wisdom. Are you reading Proverbs with us? Is, is God giving and supplying you wisdom? He can. He does. Wisdom is what to do when it seems like your whole world's falling apart. When there's so much animosity, protest, hatred, fighting, disease. You're like, God, where are you? What do I do? How do I respond to this? I, we wake up in the morning and say, this is the day the Lord has made. God, I live for you. I have no clue what's going to happen. I have no clue when church is going to start meeting again. I have no clue what the future holds. Lord, I trust you. 
That's all we can do. And that's what it means for us that we are pursuing godly wisdom. Christ is saying Christianity isn't going to be exchanged for some cheap magic trick. It's not the prosperity gospel. It's not all yes answers to prayer. A lot of times God's going to tell us no. He's going to tell us to wait. Or he's going to say, I'm not going to answer that now. But one day you will know. Jesus Christ wants you and I to get to the point where we fully rely upon him. And one of the ways we do that just like the folks in Ephesus, if there's any hindrance, any sin in our life, we destroy it and we say, Lord, I'm yours. Have you given your life to Jesus? Have you trusted in him as your savior? I'm going to lead us tonight. The prayer of salvation. Wherever you're at, whenever you listen to this, you might not be listening to this on April 26th, but whenever you are, if God wants you to respond to Jesus, now you can do it. I want you to bow your head. to you close your eyes. If you want to get saved, don't you follow along with me. Dear Jesus, I'm burning my plow. I'm burning my music. I'm burning my magic books. I'm renouncing sin. Jesus, forgive me of my sins. I want to live for you. I ask for forgiveness. I believe in you. Please help me flourish. Jesus, I love you. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. I want you to look up. If you pray that prayer, that's the sinner's prayer. That's turning from your old sinful life. Turning from your life that Christ redeemed you from. That the devil had you in bondage of. You've repented and you now live for him. The people in Ephesus did it 2,000 years ago. You can do it wherever you're at tonight, right now. You're turning to the Lord. Thank you so much for worshiping with us. If you made a decision, follow Jesus. Message me here on our, our church Facebook page. Shoot, shoot me an email. I can follow up with you, get in touch. But even if you don't do that, I want you to know. I want you to start reading the Bible. So where do I start? I mean, you just start in the book of Acts. That's where we're going through on Sunday nights. Just start in Acts chapter 1. Watch how the gospel of Jesus just spreads and goes out. And how the name of Jesus saves people. Just like it can save you. It can, it, just like it can save back 2,000 years ago. It can save you today. Thank you so much for joining us. We will see you next Sunday night. And it will now be in May. Thank you.